there and welcome to the Let's Talk podcast. I'm Carrie Lloyd-Shaw, Christian blogger, wife and mum, muser and grace lover. I write and chat about a broad range of biblical subjects deeply rooted in and flowing from this focused centre that one man died for everyone. I believe that it's this truth about Jesus that makes our hope as Christians visible to others as part of a collective worldwide community of faith, the Church of Jesus Christ. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram and if you're a word nerd like me, you can check out my latest blog articles by heading on over to the website, carrieloydshaw.com. Right now though, let's talk. The appearance of Jesus on the Jewish scene was a dramatic collision between grace and spiritual performance. Jesus came preaching repentance and forgiveness for all people, not on the basis of their social status, their ethnicity, or their gender, but on the basis of God's generosity and undeserved grace. John 3 verses 16 through 17 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Grace gives us what we don't deserve and cannot earn. This is why it is so frequently contrasted against the law of Moses, the Torah, which still resulted in condemning every man or woman, no matter their sincerity or good deeds. Righteousness could never come by law-keeping, simply because it was impossible for it to be kept perfectly in its entirety. Many of the conflicts that were initiated with Jesus came from the Pharisees, members of a Jewish religious party that flourished in Palestine from around 515 BCE through to 70 CE. The movement was marked by both a meticulous adherence to their interpretation of the Torah, as well as their particular eschatological or end-time views. The precise details of religious life were the Pharisees' passion, and the conflicts they engaged in were usually over minor issues such as fasting, Sabbath-keeping, eating with unclean people, or attitudes towards civic duties like paying taxes, all performance-driven markers of supposed spirituality. They made uncompromising stands on matters of no particular spiritual importance, while issues of greatest significance were minimised or neglected. The Pharisees majored in these minors, presuming that this kind of religiosity made them more spiritual and right with God. In reality, they were actually inverting the spiritual values that God was really interested in, like mercy, justice and faithfulness. They should have known better. God had already made plain to his people what he required of them. He had already told them that he found the saccharine solemnity of their religious assemblies nauseating and the melodious noise of their songs infuriating. He had said by way of his prophet Amos in chapter 5 verses 21 through 25, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them, and the peace offerings of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, to the melody of your harps I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. 
God is not interested in religion without heart. The prophet Micah comments in chapter 6 verse 8, where he says, He has told you, O human, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Jesus called the Pharisees out on their hypocrisy in the Gospel of Matthew, where he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. This reference to straining out gnats and swallowing camels relates to a law that the Jews had that forbade eating any flying insects that did not have jointed legs for hopping, which was taken from the book of Leviticus, chapter 11, verses 20 through 23. In this, they were strictly observant. Because water could have insects and insect larvae in it, pious Jews were careful to strain the water through a cloth before drinking it. They did not want to accidentally ingest an unclean insect and thus violate the law. Jesus mentions this practice in his proverb and then contrasts it with a hyperbolic picture of gulping down a camel. In this way, Jesus accused them of taking great pains, straining out gnats, to avoid offence in minor things of little importance, while tolerating or committing great sins, swallowing camels, such as deceit, oppression and lust. The Pharisees could recite the law by heart, yet they couldn't have said what the heart of the law really was. They failed to see or understand that Jesus had no interest in setting up rigid religious and social guidelines for his followers. His focus instead was on majoring in the majors, the gospel, and the significant agendas of the kingdom of God. Legalism takes different forms at different times and is often hard to pin down, manifesting itself in subtle ways. There is much that can be said about legalism and the hypocrisy that arises from it. An emphasis on externals makes it very easy to fake what is really going on inside. Promoting or insisting on conformity to these outward markers of spirituality often results in people who may look spiritual on the outside but who are, in reality, suffering from deep inner turmoil and sin. Well-known Christian writer Philip Yancey has this to say, I know of only two alternatives to hypocrisy, perfection or honesty. Since I have never met a person who loves our God with all their heart, mind, soul, and loves their neighbour as themselves, I do not view perfection as a realistic alternative. Our only option, then, is honesty that leads to repentance. As the Bible shows, God's grace can cover any sin, including murder, infidelity, or betrayal. Yet, by definition, grace must be received, and hypocrisy disguises our need to receive grace. When the masks fall, hypocrisy is exposed as an elaborate ruse to avoid grace. The focus of this episode, particularly in light of the global pandemic, is another issue that I believe arises from a spirit of legalism. This is the issue of extremism, when we begin majoring in the minors instead of majoring in the majors. Right now, the world has been sharply delineated. 
Nearly as quickly as the virus has spread, so too has the chatter and the differing opinions about both the cause and the cure. There is an ocean of information and propaganda, together with an overabundance of access to information, some of it accurate and some of it not. However, the most disturbing aspect of all of this is the noticeable polarization of people into two opposing groups, them and us. And the church is not unaffected in this. We, the church, are being drawn into extremes, into focusing on external markers, whether you believe COVID is real or not, whether you choose to vaccinate or not. We're using these markers as some kind of external test of authentic Christianity and displaying the same misguided zeal for religious purity as the Pharisees of Jesus' day. We're gazing outward, looking for specks of sawdust in other people's eyes, instead of looking inward and paying attention to the plank in our own eye. The dangers of this kind of religiousness, extremism, are as great a threat in the 21st century as they were in the first. As Philip Yancey comments, the spirit of law-keeping stiffens into extremism. I know of no legalism that does not seek to enlarge its domain of intolerance. Our focus in this global crisis seems to have shifted away from our most basic and guiding principle, that is, to incarnate Christ in a darkened and impoverished world. And, instead, Christians are showing themselves to be intolerant, judgmental, and divisive to those who think differently to themselves. Not only that, we're being distracted from majoring in the majors, the gospel, and the significant agendas of the kingdom of God. I think we must be careful, particularly right now, but in any circumstance, to ensure that the hills we're choosing to die on are the ones that have a cross firmly planted at their summit. While the global pandemic is certainly a troubling and anxious time, I don't believe our personal opinion about it changes anything in relation to our right standing with God. Certainly, there are considerations around our response to the crisis, which must be thought about in relation to our Christian witness, and these are convictions that each Christian must personally decide for themselves in the light of Scripture. I talk more about these in my episode In the Shadow of the Empire. Jesus is the only way to find right standing with God. The name of Jesus is the only means by which humanity can be saved. Jesus' performance, not our own, is what secures this extraordinary gift of grace. And in Jesus, God is saving, rescuing, atoning, justifying, ruling, and reconciling people for the glory of his name, all in pursuit of his purpose. This is what the Bible describes as the gospel and the kingdom of God. These are the major agendas that Jesus focused on, and these should be our focus too. The world is changed by our example, not by our opinion. Our primary purpose and responsibility as Christians, and collectively as the Church, is to point the world to Jesus. We do this not by imposing our opinions or judging the world, but by being salt and light. The significant agendas of the kingdom will be seen in lives that are surrendered to the guidance and leadership of God's designated King, Jesus. Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and earth. He becomes the final claimant on our affections, the motivating force in our decisions, and the final judge of our soul. Therefore, 
we will also be on guard to avoid any kind of system that employs the use of formulas or doctrines to press good people of faith into conformity with a system instead of conformity to Christ. We will be on the lookout for cultures that promote or enable power posturing, performance preoccupation, unspoken rules, and a lack of balance. And we will resist mindsets that seek to quantify authentic Christianity by anything other than a confession of trust in the saving name of Jesus Christ. What does this look like in a pandemic? The ability to exercise critical thinking is an important reality for every person, but in the end, opinions must be formed by each person for themselves and never coerced or compelled upon us by others. Christians may therefore see a situation in very different ways, but this doesn't make them any more or any less Christian than each other. It's important to understand that unity as Christians is based on our commonality in Jesus, not our uniformity of thought or opinion about non-essential topics. Whether I think COVID-19 was created in a lab, whether I think COVID-19 is no worse than the seasonal flu, or whether I think COVID-19 is some kind of elaborate ruse enabling Bill Gates to digitally track the world's population through microchip-carrying vaccines, doesn't make me any less Christian. Although, arguably, at least one of those opinions infers I'm probably less adept at critical thinking than I should be. How we respond or behave as Christians, however, is clearly set out for us in Scripture, and in this we should be united. The Apostle Peter, when encouraging the early church in their Christian witness in relation to the pressures they were under, had this to say, Keep your conduct honourable. 1 Peter 2 verses 11 through 12. Respect and submit to authority. 1 Peter 2 verse 13. Love and do good. 1 Peter 1 verse 22. What I think this looks like right now, in practical terms, is this. That Christians will be people of peace, kindness and compassion. That will look for opportunities to do good and love others well that will give no cause for the name of Jesus to be brought into disrepute and no opportunity for the kingdom mission of God to be thwarted, that will have soft hearts and open minds, willing to listen and understand rather than judge and disparage, that will realise that this time of trouble at its core is no different to any other crisis or trouble that Christians have faced, and that, in all things, Jesus is over everything that we'll choose to not let our differences divide us, but instead we'll be reminded of what truly unites us, and that we'll be people who choose to major in the majors, those things that the world needs most, the gospel of good news and the significant agendas of the kingdom of God.